Thank you very much. And um, I, last night I was talking to a bunch of these you guys, and what do you, what did you want me to t talk about? You know, well, inspire us, uh, show us the way. And I, I look at your resumes, and you all seem like rockets to me. So I don't know what I can say that uh, would would steer your path, but. I decided I would talk a little bit and, 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 and offer you two things that people have said to me that have met, been meaningful to me. Um, when I was about 40, um, I was in a kind of mid-career crisis. I was looking around uh, to find something that gave my life meaning. And I suppose I was particularly affected by my father's life and my father's generation. My father had grown up on a farm in Kansas uh, during the Dust Bowl. Many of you don't even know what that might have been, but the farm blew away. The dust went up. You could see Kansas from the Gulf of Mexico. That was my dad's farm. So he was very, very poor uh, from a broken family. And, uh, but he went off to World War II and saved Europe. Uh, fought in Korea, lived a you know a heroic life, and became a banker in Dallas. So my life was much different from his, and his seemed so directed and meaningful. I was the son of a middle-class banker, and um, I was looking. I would love to have been a soldier. I admired and envied his heroic combat so much, and I w was planning to join the Marines. But the war that my country offered me at that time was Vietnam. And it was the wrong war for me. I became a conscientious objector, which meant that uh, I, in principle, opposed the war. And I had to spend two years of alternative service. And I went to Cairo. And at that time, in 1969, I didn't even know what language they spoke in Egypt. I was, you know, I was just sick of the, the war in this country, and I just wanted to get out. And it seemed like a diversion. I spent two years, I studied Arabic for the fun of it, but mainly I was teaching young Egyptians how to speak English. And I came back to this country and began my journalistic career at the Race Relations Reporter in Nashville, Tennessee, and I had the privilege of covering, I think, the greatest cultural transformation this country's ever gone through, which was the Civil Rights Movement. Um, I'm proud of the contribution my generation made to that. But after that, um, I you know, practiced my career, but I was still looking for that direction and that purpose. And as I came up on my 40th birthday, um, I decided I'd make a resolution. I was only going to do things that were really important or really fun. And I couldn't find anything important. So I decided I was going to have fun. I started writing movies, uh, which are a lot more fun than journalism, I can tell you that. And I took up the piano so I could play Great Balls of Fire on my 40th birthday. Uh, I joined a band. Uh, I had a lot of fun, uh, and in the process of having all that fun, I wrote a movie called The Siege, uh, which came out in 1998 uh, and starred uh, Denzel Washington and Bruce Willis. The question that The Siege asks is, 
what would happen if terrorism came to our country? How would we react? What kind of country would we become? What would happen to our civil liberties? It was about terrorism in New York. And in many ways, it prefigured in a spooky manner the events that actually did take place on 9-11. So when 9-11 happened and people said, ooh, it looks like a movie, I thought, it looks like my movie. Uh, and how spooky to watch the plot line play out. The army in the streets of New York, Arabs rounded up, suspects tortured. These were all plot points in, in a movie I had imagined three years before. I think that it was at that moment that I realized that my life had had a direction. I had been living for this moment. It was my job. In, ways, in many ways, I thought it was what I was born, born to do to write about these events. I had lived in Egypt. I, had, I spoke some Arabic. I had, in some ways, pre-imagined these events. And it was at that point that someone told me the aphorism, the Sufi aphorism that I'm going to share with you now. Whatever you're looking for is also looking for you. That seemed to make a lot of sense to me. Now, there's another, there's another thing. I was talking to some of you last night about my, uh, I've had a kind of midlife uh, career switch. I'm an actor now. I wrote a play called My Trip to Al-Qaeda. And, um, and I've been performing it in New York. And I was yesterday at the Kennedy Center talking to them about doing it here in, uh, in Washington in the fall. And, you know, doesn't that scare you? Uh, you know, you're up there all by yourself uh, for, for an hour and a half. Uh, and the answer is no. It used to scare me. But years ago, when I was working on another book, I happened to run into a witch. Her name was Starhawk. She's a rather famous witch. And, um, I uh, was going to make a public speech rather like this, and I'd never made one before. And I said, I'm scared. I'm scared of speaking in public. When I do, my voice gets high and my knees start knocking, and, you know, and uh, she said, that's interesting. You know, we witches have a saying, where there's fear, there's power. It was about the most important thing anybody said to me, because I realized, what was I afraid of? Was I afraid of failing? Or was I afraid of succeeding? Was I afraid, was that fear actually standing in the way of becoming some larger person who could do things, who could stand up in front of people, who could act, who could do whatever he wanted, who could take the initiative uh, to become someone new? So now when I feel afraid, I always think of it as a signal to something else.